Alright, so if you would look in your worship guide or your Bible or your Bible app, or if you want to look over Silas's shoulder in his new Bible, uh, we're in Genesis 1, we're going to start with verse 26. We've been in this series going through Genesis 1 through 3. It's been awesome looking at the, uh, the beginning. And today we get to uh, this passage where it focuses on the creation of mankind, men and women. So verse 26 of Genesis 1. Um, <clears throat> stand for the reading of God's Word. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Okay, so last week we kind of covered the big picture of this passage, looking at the sixth creation day, where God um, uh, has He creates living creatures to fill the waters that would be like fish and whales and all those things, Uh, and then He well. He fills the waters uh, at the land, and then he uh, fills the land itself. It says he has the land bring forth uh, living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, like domesticated animals, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to their kind, everything he's creating according to its kind. Um, sky animals like birds, water animals like fish, and land animals like dogs and cows and tigers and things like that. And then God does this thing where he creates people. Last week we sort of looked at the big picture, the the narrative of how the creation of people, mankind, male and female, men and women, how how it was like like the culmination point of the six days of creation. And that was the focus there. This week I want to look at the same passage, but really zoom in on uh, verse 26 and 27. Let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. 
And then this piece, so God created mankind in his image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. The big question for today is what does it mean that God created people in his image? What is that? What does that mean? And why does it matter? Why would that matter for us today? Is that just like a like a nice thing to say? Is that like some kind of theoretical thing? Uh, does it have practical implications? And the answer is it does. So I want to spend our time. What is the image of God in people? What does that mean that God made people, mankind, in his image, male and female? And what does that mean for the way we live, the way we treat one another, the way we do life? Because it has huge uh, implications for those things. So first, what does it mean that people... That God created people in his image. The image of God in people, the fancy theological term for it uh, is Latin. It's Imago Dei. That might be familiar because there's a church in town called Imago Dei. It's a cool name for a church. Uh, Imago Dei. That's the doctrine, that the Christian doctrine that we believe that people... All people everywhere, male and female, are created by God in his image. And the Imago Dei is foundational to Christianity. You can't have Christianity and not have the Imago Dei. It's a primary ingredient. So it's really important that we can grasp what it is and why it matters. So... I believe that the answer to the questions, what is it and why does it matter, they're like what we have seen over and over again throughout this series. Some of the big questions that surround the creation story, or maybe I should say creation stories at the beginning of the Bible, the big questions we have seen over and over again, the great answers to these questions, true answers to these questions, are right there on the page. What does the Bible say? So let's just... Uh, Charlie, stop talking about it and let's get at it, okay? What is the image of God? What is the Imago Dei? What does it mean? Well, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And that's the answer to the question. It's almost like the like like God is saying, Let's make mankind in our image. And in case you didn't hear me, or in case you don't know what that means, it means likeness. Let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. What does it mean that people are created in God's image? Well, it means that people are created to be like him. It means that people are created like him. It means that people are like God. That's what it means. Did you know that one of the foundational Beliefs, truths in Christianity was that people are like God? Did you know that you can't have Christianity without the truth that people are created to look like him and to be like him? And that every single person bears a likeness to God. By the time that this verse was... Uh, when it's. Uh, when we see it again, this, this word image in the New Testament, we see the Greek word uh, icon. 
And icon is an idea that's sort of translated into our contemporary world. An icon is a picture. In fact, the, like on, a, on an app, an app has an icon on your phone. And you look at the icon for the app and it represents the whole thing. There's something here about that. God creates people in his image, in his likeness. Um, Douglas F. Kelly, who's a really smart Bible scholar uh, guy who wrote a, an interesting book called Creation and Change, uh, he says this. He says, The astonishing teaching of Genesis 126 is that to be in the image of God is to be like Him in certain and definite respects. I like what Doug Kelly says there, this likeness, this being like God. It's not this vague, oh, you're sort of like God. It's there are certain and definite aspects to our being like Him, to Him creating people like Him. I see two things here that are certain and definite. That's true about everybody created in God's image. That would be every human being. What does it mean to be like Him? Well, there's two certain and definite things. The first is that God created us to be personal beings. Or stated a little differently, God created us to be persons. Now, that might sound a little basic. Of course, Charlie, I'm a person. Isn't everybody a person? Well, yeah. And that's actually incredible. When we read this story, it says that God, uh, just on the sixth day, God created the, the animals in the sea according to their kinds, and God created the animals in the air according to their kinds, and God created the animals on the land according to their kinds. But then... He creates mankind in his image, personally, to be personal beings. He creates people as persons. Uh, Let me just show you a little bit about what I mean by that. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody this week about what it means that God is one God and three persons. And that's, that's kind of a mind-bender idea. The idea of God being one God and three persons is classical Christian theology. And the idea that we as human beings are persons is classical, uh, just good thinking about humanity. It's no surprise that in we look at history and we look at certain tyrannical regimes, certain people were labeled as non-persons. And those were people that were, like like in World War II, when Jewish people were labeled as non-persons. Personhood is something that comes from God. Let me just show you from the text. God says in verse 26, he says, Let us make mankind in our image. And that plural, us and our, has been like a flashing light to Bible readers for a long time that says, pay attention to this. In this story, there's one God creating the world. And when he says, let's, well, when he says, uh, instead of saying, I'm going to make people to be like me, he says, let us make people in our image, in our likeness. Lots of people have thought, what is this us business? What is this our business? Isn't there one God? 
Some people have said maybe he's looking around and talking to the angels. But that can't be the case because we're not created in the image of angels. We're created in the image of God. Some people say that maybe God's saying let us create mankind in our image is him just using formal language like the royal we. Like what we saw when in Hebrew it says Elohim and that's in the plural to uh, to like draw out this image of majesty. Some people say, oh, it's just that. Well, if it is that, this is the only place in the whole Bible it ever happens. And that would be kind of weird. It's really neither of those things. What we see here in this us, in our business, it's like, it's like cracking open the door and looking into a dark room at this reference to God as Trinity. God as three in one. We don't learn about the Trinity. We don't learn that God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit until the Son arrives on the scene and until the Spirit arrives on the scene and they're both called God and they both talk to the Father as a separate person. But in the Old Testament, we get these little glimpses. Uh, theologian B.B. Warfield said it's like looking into a room with the lights turned off and seeing that, yeah, I can see there's furniture in there. You know, I can kind of see the shape of that, but you don't really know what it is until you turn the light on. Well, in the New Testament, the light gets turned on on the Trinity, but here, in the first chapter of the Bible, we get this little glimpse into this plurality in God. So, when God says, let us make mankind in our image, what we have is a God, one God, three persons saying, let's make mankind plural, male and female, together in our image. And what God is saying is that the way, it's almost like God is saying, the way that I have always existed as three persons together in unity, now let's create, let's take this personhood and bestow it upon these unique creatures so that this male and female humanity looks more like me or maybe could I say us, than they do everything else in the world. God creates human beings as persons uniquely. Now when we talk about the personhood of the Father, Son, and Spirit, sometimes we ask, what does it mean that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are three persons? And we might be tempted to take contemporary ideas of personhood, like personal autonomy, and push that back onto the Trinity. But we've got to be careful with that because uh, we, we don't want to recreate God in our image. We're made in his image. So we want to see what does what's the Bible teach us about God being three persons? Well, God teaches us that the Father is not the Son and the Father is not the Spirit, but he is God. The Bible shows us that the Son is God, but he's not the Father and he's not the Spirit. And the Spirit is God, but he's not the Father and he's not the Spirit. But the way we tell them apart, the things that they have that are unique to themselves are what's called their personal properties. What makes the Father different than the Son? What makes the Son different than the Spirit? What makes the three of them persons? And what we get, we call their personal properties. And it goes like this. What are the personal properties of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit? Well, the personal properties of the Godhead are that uh, the Father is uh, has um, how do I say it has paternity he's uniquely father like 
The Son isn't Father-like. The Spirit isn't Father-like. That only applies to the Father. He has paternity. Well, okay, what about the Son? What makes him a unique person? Well, in John 3.16, it says the Son is begotten. He's the only person in the Godhead who is begotten. He's begotten eternally. So we have a person with paternity, a person with begottenness. And then the thing about the Spirit that's true about the Spirit that's not true about the Father or the Son is that he was... uh he was spirated, <laughs> like respiration, respiration. He was breathed out. Uh, it says Jesus, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Or some might say that he was sent. So when we look at God, we see one God, and then we see three persons that we know that they're persons because they're different than one another. And even though they're one God, we know there's a father, there's fatherness, there's begottenness, sonness, or some might say filiation, and then there's this spirated spiritness. Okay, Charlie, we're like deep into theological land. What, what do you land the plane here, right? What it means that God creates us in his image as persons and personal beings is that like the Father, we each have a unique identity that carries purpose. Like the Son, each of us are actually from God and we look like Him. And like the Spirit, each of us are sent by God with purpose and mission. And these three things, uniqueness and identity that carries purpose, being from God and looking like Him, and being sent by God with purpose and mission is true of every single human being. It's what makes you a person. There's voices in our culture that say what makes you a person is that you have consciousness. What makes you a person is that you have a will. What makes you a person is that you have autonomy. But this older story says what makes you a person is that you are from God. He created you and he gave you purpose and you look like him and he sent you on a mission. And this kind of personhood. Well, we'll get to why it matters here in a minute. But that's what it means. You know, for a long time... um and I, I, I'm not, the purpose of the sermon is not to give a lecture about creation versus evolution. That's, we can do that over coffee. Uh, but I do want to point out that, you know, we, people have thought for a long time that humans came from apes. And there's something about that that seems to make sense because apes look a lot like us. They're very close to us genetically. What the Bible teaches is that human beings look more like God than anything else in the world. Do you know that you look more like God than you look like a monkey? (laughs) I'm not saying that to trash people who believe that we came from monkeys. I'm saying it to say, look at how much you look like God. So, to be made in God's image means that you're a personal being. It also means you're a relational being. Personal and relational. We see this. God says, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. As the Father, Son, and Spirit have existed and do exist in relationship with one another, we exist in relationship with one another. This is one reason why this 
male and female business is intrinsic to our humanity because it's a picture of community that reminds us of the community of the Trinity. God created a unified humanity that was plural and that is communal. God also created human beings as spiritual beings. Now, so we have uh, personalness, personality, if you will. We have relationship, being relational beings, and we have spiritual beings. Now, that's fascinating because this is a physical... Basically, the story that we have so far is God creating this... uh, He created a physical universe. He's shaping this physical land underneath the hovering, remember, of the Holy Spirit. And then this physical world culminates with a physical, spiritual union in human beings. One of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, I like to call it old dead white guys. <laughs> One of my favorite old Reformed theologians is Herman Bavink, and he says, creation culminates in a humanity where spiritual and the material world are joined together. You know, we talk about every week, uh, here at the table or when we do baptism, that in these sacraments, the physical and the spiritual go together. Sometimes we say that these sacraments are where heaven and earth overlap. Did you know that there is a sacramental quality to human life? We're the only beings on the planet that are physical and spiritual together. Okay. So what does it mean that we're made in God's image? It means that we are personal beings, like God is a personal being, and that there is so much worth and value there. It means that we're relational beings. We come together in groups. Uh, Like John Donne said, no man is an island. And it means that we are spiritual beings. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, I have never met a mere mortal. And that's true of every human being. So that's what it means to have the Imago Dei. And did you know that that every single person here, did you know that you were made in God's image? That's that's a pretty big deal. Okay, why is it a big deal? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we're created in God's image? Well, first, let's look at this personhood business. Why does it matter that we are persons? Well, since every human being is created in God's image, then every single human life, every single person, has intrinsic value, beauty, and dignity. This story finishes with God looking at his creation and saying, look, behold, God saw the human, he said, look, it is very good. I love that he does this, you know, in this six days, he does this and it's good. He does this and it's good. He does this and it's good. He creates people in his image and it is very good. It means that every single person, every human being, because every human being is a person, no matter what some might say, has intrinsic, innate, in your very being, nobody can take it away, value, beauty, and dignity. 
As God is valuable, the people he made to look like him are valuable. As God is beautiful, the people he gave his likeness are beautiful. And as God is dignified, every person he endows with dignity. This means, folks, that uh, male and female, men and women, boys and girls, old and young, one thing that's on a, on a lot of people's hearts and minds right now is born or unborn. Mothers, fathers, black folks, brown folks, white folks, every single person. Value, beauty, dignity. Now this goes against what we hear in much of the world's cultures today. This is countercultural, and it always has been. This is fundamental to the gospel and to Christianity, that every single person starting out... You know, it's very common. I remember when I was in college and somebody was teaching me how to share the gospel, how to talk about Jesus, and they taught me this is the way you do it. It starts off, every single person is broken and born into sin and evil. But Jesus came to save us, so trust Jesus. And then life is good. It goes like that. And I remember arguing with my philosophy professor my first year in college, telling them that humanity is basically evil and the world is basically broken. And she, being smarter than me, said, I don't think that that's true. And when we read the Bible, we see that it's not. God created the world good. And he created every single person in his image. So the first fundamental truth about you is that you are valuable, beautiful, and dignified. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter where you came from, no matter what anybody says about you or does to you or try to take from you, you are beautiful, valuable, and dignified. And this is true with both righteous people and unrighteous people. Christian people, non-Christian people, queer people and straight people, transgender people, cisgender people, people that don't even know what we're talking about when we talk about that. Rich people, poor people, educated people, uneducated people, conservative people, liberal people, upstanding citizens and convicted criminals, every single person, value, dignity, and beauty, worthy of being respected, loved, and told about the redemption that's offered to them in Jesus Christ. And that telling being followed up with loving and community. So it matters because every person has dignity, like God does. And it matters because every... uh, Let's look at the relationship thing. Uh, Since every human being is creating God's image relationally, what that means is that elitism in all of its forms is an offense against God himself. We have God from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing and living in perfect equality, perfect equity. Jesus said, I don't do anything except what the Father tells me. That was him speaking as a human being, him speaking as the new Adam, him speaking as a man following God's law. 
But the eternal Son, before the incarnation, before he became a human being, and after he rose from the dead and ascended at the right hand of the Father, is not subordinate to the Father. He's equal with him. So God the Father, Son, and Spirit, from eternity past and into eternity future, is a one God, three totally equal persons. That's the image that God gives to us. Every single person created for a relationship, equal playing field, equal worth, equal dignity. And that's not like we take some away from others in order to give the people who have less more. No, every single person, unspeakable beauty, unspeakable value, limitless worth. This means that when somebody comes along and says, I am better than you, I am over you for this reason, because I'm smarter, or because I'm richer, or because I'm male, or because I'm female, or because I'm a grown-up, or for any reason at all, if somebody says they are better than you, they're going to have to answer to God. Because God made you in His image. Now, we live in a world which is addicted. And we live in a church which is addicted to people saying, I am intrinsically better because of who I am than you. People who think that they're better because they're white. People who think that they're better because they're male. People who think that they're better because they're rich. People who think that they're better because they're smart. God said, let's, let's, let us, let's make mankind in our image, male and female. Folks, very often another thing we forget, I'm just, I'm just telling you my own story here. I, I forgot for a long time that God created the world and created people very good. And I started with God, we're broken. And I needed to be reminded, no, 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 go back to chapter one. Well, in the same way, very often, when we talk about how God created men and women, we don't start with Genesis 1. We start with Genesis 2. And we love to tell the story of how, especially in our tradition, of how God created man from the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then later he created the woman. But we can't start with Genesis 2. We have to start with Genesis 1, which says God said, let us make mankind in our image. And it says that God created mankind altogether in his image. In his image, he created them, just in case you didn't get it, male and female. What this means, men, you bear the image of God. Women, you bear the image of God. Not one more than the other. Not both of you together make up half of it. No. Both of you in your own beautiful way look like the God who is three in one. And not one is better than the other. Not one is over than the other just because of how we think society should work. No. Fundamentally, in our being, equal relational creatures. This means that, as Pastor Dr. Jamar Tisby said in the video I sent you in the email, which you should watch because it's awesome, 
We as human beings have a dominion problem. God creates mankind in His image so that they would rule. Rule over who? Well, the earth and the creatures in the earth. But we have taken this story and we have turned it into God created some of us in His image so that we would rule over the other ones. And we look at history, we look at America, we look at Portland, we look at the Presbyterian Church in America, maybe even looking at hope. And we have a dominion problem. We have a problem with trying to dominate other people and put them in their place. Racism, slavery, sexism, hierarchical views of gender, classism, tyranny, anti-Semitism, oppression, abuse. All of these are offenses against the God whose image we bear. And when we push other people down and to advance ourselves, we are trampling on the image of God. So, uh, in a couple weeks, few weeks, we're going to look at Genesis, well, it's a few weeks down into the summer, we're going to look at Genesis 3, when humanity rebelled against the living God and our image was bent. We're going to get into that. So I don't want to spend too much time convincing you that the image in us is bent. But it's true. We have a sin problem, and it doesn't take away the image, but it bends it, it mars it, it dirties it. That's why when we look out at the world, we see beautiful human beings made in God's likeness, but we don't see the world working like God designed it to be. We don't see people acting like God We see people acting like rebellious idiots. So how do we live with the image of God? How do we honor the image of God? How how do we, can it be restored? How, How does all of that, what do we do with this image theology if we can't live it? Well, when Paul was writing his letter to the Colossians, he answered this question. And I want to read it, and that's how we're going to close. And I had a bookmark there, and the bookmark fell out. But what do we do with this broken image? Where are we supposed to look to see the beauty that God made for us to bear? Well, the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, and I think they were asking this question. We don't know the questions they asked to get the answers in the letter, but I'm pretty sure the question was, what about this image business? And Paul writes that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over creation. That doesn't mean that Jesus was born before the first people. It means that Jesus is the rightful heir of everything that God created humanity to be. When we ask, what are we supposed to do with this image theology, this beautiful thing, beautiful, personal, relational, uh, amazing thing that we can't live up to? We're supposed to just walk out knowing that we blew it and we can't do it right? Paul says, no. Look to Jesus. The image that he bears is the image that God 
has for you. That he gave to humanity in the first place. That we got all messed up. And that he brings us back into. Folks, the gospel is that God made us to look like him and we rebelled and blew it. So God made himself look like us in order to bring us into the fullness of the Imago Day. So what do we do with our racist, sexist, broken, messed up world? Well, we have to start by looking to Jesus, the image of God. We have to start by looking to Him, the fullness of God in mankind, because it's through Him that God reconciles all things to Himself. I want you to think about this week. I want you to think about that. What do we do with the brokenness in the world? How do we fix it? You've got to look to Jesus. Before you do anything else, while you're doing other things, and after you do other things, look at Him. That's humanity. Let's pray.